third bullet, uh, organizing our lives to tell others about Jesus Christ, freaked out with just the first three words, organizing your life. <laughs> That's a culture thing. Um, how many of you like to watch movies and have a bowl of popcorn to kind of chill? Well, okay, you're going to love this morning at least the first minute and 23 seconds of it because I've got an animated movie for you. No popcorn, but an animated movie. Hey, that one looks like a turtle. Look at that one. That one looks like a dog. Oh, it is a dog. What? Oh, we're not allowed to have dogs in my apartment. Hey, I like dogs. We have your dog. Whoa. Wonder who he belongs to. Sit, boy. Hey, look, he's trained. Shake. Uh-huh. Speak. Hi there. <laughs> Would that dog just say hi there? Oh, yes. Bruh! My name is Doug. I have just met you, and I love you. <laughs> My master made me this collar. He is a good and smart master, and he made me this collar so that I may talk. Squirrel! <laughs> My master is good and smart. It's not possible. Oh, it is because my master is smart. <gasps> cool. What are these, new boy? Hey, would you call that cradle contigo? I use that collar. Watashiwa Hanashima to talk with. I would be happy if you stopped. Russell, don't touch that. It could be radioactive or something. I am a great tracker. My pack sent me on a special mission all by myself. Have you seen a bird? I want to find one, and I've been on this scent. I'm a great tracker. Did I mention that? <laughs> Hey, that is the bird. I have never seen one up close, but this is the bird. May I take your bird back to camp as my prisoner? Yes, yes, take it. And on the way, learn how to bark like a real dog. I can bark. And here's howling. <laughs> All right, okay, you can go home and enjoy yourself. <laughs> Actually, when I saw this animation, I, I was thinking about um, this morning and the message for this morning. And I got to thinking about uh, what the message is here. What is the message? You tell me. What's the point of that clip? Okay. <laughs> yeah, at least one of you said it. Yeah, he's on a mission. Doug the dog is on a mission. He's out there sniffing the ground. He's actually looking for a bird. And then what happens? He gets distracted. Squirrel. He gets taken off his mission altogether. So I thought about this morning. I thought, well, you know what? Christian life is kind of like that in some regard. We're on a mission. And there are so many distractions in life that take us off our mission. And so I thought, well, you know, it's easy to be distracted for us for sure today. And the question for me is, uh, are we really walking according to God's plan, which is living our life on mission? There's a lot of things that distract us today, a lot of different things. We're busy people, aren't we? How many of you can stand up, raise your hand, and say, hey, I got a whole lot of spare time. Give me all your busyness. <laughs> I certainly can't. We're busy, 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 busy people. And I wonder if all, in all of our busyness, um, how many of us give up our mission? We just cast it out, the mission that God desires for our lives. And the passage I'm going to talk about this morning speaks about telling others about Jesus Christ. So I know, I are one of you, I know there is, are people here that when you say tell others about Jesus Christ, 
it brings a sense of um, weightiness to their life. It brings a sense of guilt in their life. Again, a sense of shame in their life. And none of that is from the Lord Jesus Christ. But it brings that. So before we start, let me pray and ask God to do a wonderful work in each one of our individual lives in this specific area. Father, thank you for this morning, for the blessing of getting together uh, corporately as brothers and sisters in the faith. But thank you, Father, more importantly that the Spirit is here and he dwells among the church. And he desires that we walk in mission. Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and our ears, that we would uh, listen afresh of what it means to uh, live out there in this world and telling others about Christ. So, Father, be exalted this morning as we take in and as your Spirit makes application. In Christ's name, amen. So, would you uh, take out your Bible or your electronic device, or if you've got a pew Bible, it's page number 1180. Uh, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 4. While you're getting there, I'll give you a little bit of a background. The church at Colossae was a uh, culturally diverse church, both Jew and Gentile, in a mixed group, and heresy had plagued the church. There was this uh, Jewish legalism, there was the mysticism of the pagans in the church, the body of Christ. The church began during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus, and in Ephesus, apparently, there was this young man, uh, Epaphras, that went, went to uh, Ephesus and was listening to the Apostle Paul, gave his life to Christ, and came back to Colossae and planted a church. So they now had a local fellowship there. And in verses 2 to 6, or two to six yes, there's something there for us that Paul captures. It's all about living your life on mission, how you use your gifts and resources and opportunities that are at your disposal by our God. Paul was concerned about this particular church. He was concerned they were ingrown. He was concerned that they had no concern or little concern for other churches and or for a personal opportunity to tell others about Christ. In the passage, Paul very clearly tells us that there is a plan God has for us. And what I've done is try to pull from here what I think are four action steps for the church here today in Huntington Beach, just as it was for the church in Colossae. So in verses uh, 2 to 6, let me read that for you as you follow along. And boy, may God just bless you with just nothing more than just a simple reading of his word. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us that God will open up a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mysteries of Christ for which I have been imprisoned, that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your opportunities. Let your speech Always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Good stuff from the Apostle Paul. The first action step that I see in here that Paul mentions is be 
devoted in prayer. Now, I know we're believers in Christ, so you start everything with prayer. I know that I understand that, but this is an emphasis from Paul that is critical. He says, two areas of your life need to be devoted to prayer. Prayer for yourself, and then he says, pray for me also. And in some translations, pray for us also. Because there were others with Paul engaged in ministry. So let's look at what he says first for them to pray about for themselves. And it's in verse 2, be devoted, devote yourselves. Keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving. In the New Living Translation, it gives us a little bit of a different flavor for this. Devote yourselves to prayer with an attitude, or with alert mind and a thankful heart. Now realize that when you look at the fourth chapter of the book of Colossians there, this is the last few words from the Apostle Paul to this church. No more words. And so that caught my attention, so I hope it catches yours. What would you say to a person or a group of people that you are not going to speak to again? Where would the emphasis be that you would say is appropriate? Paul no doubt knowing the concerns he had for the church and that the church was possibly becoming ingrown, uh, sensed from the Spirit the appropriate words. And he begins it with the exhortation on the significance and the challenges of prayer. The very first few words is devote, devote yourself. That means you've got to be faithful, church. We in in our culture can float in and float out of so many different things. You probably know people that are not faithful in anything. And then you know people that are very faithful in things. So I won't take a whole lot of time expressing what faithfulness means. This is an astute group. You understand that. But I will say these things, it is being steadfast, no quitting, no giving up. Be devoted in your prayer. This is the way the first church prayed. That's pretty simple in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2, verse 46. This is what one commentator says about this. There is no power in dull, listless praying. If there is no fire on the altar of incense, the smoke will not rise to God. Real praying demands spiritual energy, it demands alertness, and this can come only from the Holy Spirit of God. Those of you who have an intimate time with God and fellowship and the Spirit through prayer understand this. Prayer is not a luxury, it's not something you fade in and out of, it's essential to your growth. In fact, prayer is so vital to your spiritual health that it can be equated to breathing to your physical health. Both have to be continuous. There's no pausing, no luxury to sit back. So Paul says, pray for yourselves. That's a foundational principle before we do anything, certainly of this nature, organizing your life to tell others about Jesus. So how did he tell them to pray? It's right there in the text. How did he tell them to pray? He did tell them to pray, right? And he told them how to pray. Energistically, with faithfulness, 
But there's a second action step, something else they needed to do and we need to do. And that second action step is actually thankfulness, right in the same verse. I sure appreciate how he says, pray and give thanks together. We learned a lot about that kind of uh, praying last week. But thankfulness, be thankful. That accompanies any believer in Jesus Christ when he enters into the throne room and he beseeches, he makes a request of his God. He's doing that on the foundation of God being so gracious to him. The salvation that he has is thankful for to be able to even make the request. Thankfulness is just that outward expression of gratitude to our God. There's a third action step, and that involves the church being watchful. And in this action step and the fourth one is really kind of where I want to spend most of our time together this morning. The idea of being watchful says the church is to be alert. Now, alertness means a continuous praying that gives a constant attention along with unrelenting care, along with persevering while waiting, always in a state of constant readiness for God's response to your request. I'm a commuter, so I have about an hour on the freeway, and I'm praying. Often in my life and in yours, we offer up the quick prayers, which is appropriate. But church, this is not that kind of prayer. This is a lifestyle of prayer. On and on and on, continuous. Never disengaging in a sense. And I can imagine this is a subtle rebuke for some of those in the church there and maybe in Calvary Baptist that's a a rebuke. A rebuke to the ones that are easily distracted. A rebuke to the ones who allow complacency to enter into their life to such a degree they're taken off mission. Raise your hand if you are a person that has been involved in prayer. Maybe the kind of prayer that is so um, strenuous and you've prayed for so long that you become distracted. You ever experience that? I hope. We're in church, don't lie, raise your hand. (laughs) Prayer is work. There you are kneeling before your Lord, bringing up this prayer that is very important to you or to someone else, and you're engaged in the prayer, when suddenly, squirrel. (laughs) Distracted. Distracted by something totally out of context. Distracted because your focus is lost. Or maybe it's a complacency that just finally settles in. Right in the middle of your prayer. Paul says in the words he chooses in the original language, be alert. Now you say, what's he saying be alert for? Well, that means wake up. You're on mission. You know, on a side note, you guys know I was in law enforcement for 30 years. And when you kicked a door and went in on a mission, I can almost guarantee you Nobody there was sleeping. Brothers and sisters, soldiers, Paul calls you. Be alert, you're on mission. 
This is mission walking around, sitting down at home, in public. Wherever the opportunity is going to rise up, you don't know. You can't pray for yesterday and expect to go blank in your tank for seven days. So the words watch and pray are just really, really throughout the scriptures. And in one of the places they are, they're found in the very beginning is in the book of Nehemiah when they were building the walls and the gates, right? And Nehemiah says this in Nehemiah 4.9, Nevertheless, a lot of work to do. We made our prayers unto our God and set a watch against the enemy day and night. Watch, be on alert in the spiritual realm as well. Being on mission is a multitask. In fact, Robin, you know, will tell me sometimes, you know, you're, you're being distracted. No, I'm not. I'm multitasking. <laughs> is my response. So <laughs> that's actually my excuse is what it is. Uh, well, but, you know, Jesus used this, this stuff about being alert. He used it in Mark chapter 13 and Mark 14. And then Paul used it in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians chapter 6. But what Paul is saying right here is be watchful, be alert, wake up, church, from your spiritual drowsiness. Be alert to that. I can be wide awake, go into prayer, and physically fall asleep. But often, I'm sure, I spiritually fall asleep as well. So he says, you watch for spiritual drowsiness associated to the world. Squirrel. You're thinking about this. Squirrel. What about that? Lightfoot says this, a commentator. Long, continuous prayer is apt to produce listlessness. Hence, the additional charge that the heart must be awakened if the prayer is to have any value. Not meaningless murmuring or ramblings. The type of prayer that Paul was talking about here is a constant attention, relentless care, continual watching and waiting with a readiness for God's answer in response to that. Especially in light of what Paul tells the church in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 4 of Colossians. We're going to get there. The second thing he says, Paul says to those people that are going to be praying for him, he says, hey, by the way, would you pray for us as well? And somebody tell me by looking at the scripture what he says he wants prayer for. Go ahead and look at your text. What's he want prayer for? Yeah, an open door. Says he wants an open door in some translation of utterance. He wants an open door for the word. But what's he saying? He's saying, would you pray that when I arrive at that opportunity, there'll be an open door for admission for me to walk in? What else does he pray for? There's something else. Clarity. clarity. Would you pray also that I would have clarity in explaining this to them? In explaining the gospel. And when he says that, uh, you know, he's, he's looking at this idea of, well, think about Paul. Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles. Paul was the one that went to the Gentiles. You know what he's talking about when he says, I would have a great door of admission to get in to actually say these words, the gospel? He's saying the mysteries of Christ, previously hidden, 
not revealed, and that would be spelled out in Ephesians, that the Jew and the Gentile would become one body, the church. And he's talking to a church of Jews and Gentiles. What better prayer partners? Give me an admission to speak the gospel. In verse 3, he says, Also for my associates, those who are ministering with me, um, he says, I'm in chains. Those mysteries that were previously hidden, I would desire that these people would know. Well, now we've got to shift gears, and from there we turn to the more general principles that he's trying to uh, encourage these Colossian members of this church to understand. He says, behave wisely. Behave wisely. So that fourth, fourth action step involves behaving wisely, and it says, seize every opportunity. And make the best of it. Walk. Look at verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time that you have. For every one of us, church, that clock is ticking down. Being 62 now, that clock ticks faster. So I'm trying to run at a rapid pace. Walk in wisdom. Earlier I said that, you know, we're busy, 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 busy people, right? And I believe that that's the truth. But I know you're thinking when I say that, that's right. I'm busy. I don't have any time to talk to people about Jesus. I mean, that's, I've said that before myself, so I understand that. I don't have any time. Are you kidding me is your response? Uh, where am I going to find any time? Do you know what I have to do today? You know what's on my calendar for the week? How about for the next 30 days? Ed, where are you going to find time in there? And that's the same response, I would assume, broad stroke for all of us here. Where am I going to spend the time? I can't find time to do that. Let me say this. Organizing your life to tell others about Jesus Christ is not about having time. It is about being in the time you have. Let me say it again. Organizing your life to tell others about Jesus Christ isn't about having time. It is about being in the time you have. Living your life so that in your mission at that moment, you're in it. No disconnect and connecting. We don't go to an event to share the gospel of Christ. We don't go to a program to share the gospel of Christ. We share the gospel of Christ with every moment that we're in because it's an opportunity. To be in the moment means to engage in prayerful, thankful, thankful missional, intimate walk with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to live on mission. Your spiritual antennas are up or your GPS is plugged in. You're going to a place and to a people, to a person that only God knows until he reveals it. You're on mission to identify the location of God's plan for that particular moment for your life. This stuff is kind of freaky when you think about it. 
when there is a, there is a, a, a supernatural God that strategically has a time when you will meet this person. And the gospel is to be presented. Church, we are not worthy of that. And we take it lightly, self-included. How many of you saw the movie uh, Hacksaw Ridge? Okay, I was telling Robin, you guys are just going to think all I do is go to movies. (laughs) Hacksaw Ridge is a movie of a character named uh, Desmond Doss. A believer in Christ, a conscientious objector. He goes in in the military as a medic and won't handle a weapon, won't take a life. And he goes into battle. Fierce battle. And all accounts say he was personally responsible for saving up to 70 to 75 wounded soldiers. Time and time again, he went right back into battle. Risking his own safety to pull out wounded men. How'd he do it? He's on mission. On a mission. Reportedly, each time he went back into battle, with no weapon, mind you, back into battle, takes a soldier out. He says, one more, God. Just one more. And we applaud that. And rightfully so. But the reality is there are wounded, spiritually dead human beings around every one of us. In your workplaces, in the market, on the streets, in the laundromats, in the parks, in the schools, wherever you go, blind captives all around us. They can't see the way out. And so our brothers and sisters in Colossae, ancient times, and us today have a mission to carry on. Just one more. Think about it. Just one more, God. Do it again, do it again, do it again. Let me see. Let me marvel at what you do. So walking in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of your time. There's some really significant stuff here that Paul says. And I know you, that fleshy thoughts about being guilty, about not sharing the gospel when you know you should. Church, again, that's from you. That's not from Christ. You need to listen closely to this stuff. Pastor Pat a couple of weeks ago said that telling others about Jesus Christ is not an additive to your life. It is your life. Amen. I would add to that, it's not an event, it's not a program that might take an extra time for you. Rather, it is you being on mission in the moment and the time. So in this verse, there in verse 5, there's some information that there we, we want to look at and break down a little bit because I think it's important for us. It says, conduct yourselves with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of your opportunities, and let your speech always be with grace, those seasoned with salt, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each. 
There are some key words there in those verses 2 to 6 that are important. What does it mean to walk? Check this out. This is, I wouldn't lie to you. It means to order one's behavior. Organize your life in such a way to tell others about Christ. So walk. Order one's behavior. The world out there, sometimes they mock and they make fun and they poke at us and stuff. Praise be to God that they do. Because you have an opportunity to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. So that's one word. A second word I'd like to um, talk a little bit about is wisdom. But if we don't have our lives in order and we're not walking with wisdom, you know what Paul's saying? You're a bonehead. I don't know if that translates, but yeah, (laughs) we're just boneheads, man. Uh, Wisdom is knowing the knowledge of God's will and living according to his will, knowing full well you're unworthy of this mission he's placed you on. It is just simply living very practical, very realistic lives before those who are the outsiders. It means that we are careful not to say or do anything that would offend or disrupt or derail us from the opportunity that God has planned for us in that moment. It also means that we need to be alert to use the wisdom of the Spirit of God to find the opportunity itself and jump right in both feet. And watch what you say. Listen to their story. Just don't let your eyes glass over so you can get to the point, right? Quite frankly, church, some of us are just flat out rude. We don't have any idea what it means, or at least in the moment, of what it means to listen to the Spirit of God and move with the Spirit of God in those arenas. And I'll tell you, I'll just give you something from my own personal life. You know, known Christ for 36 years, so 35 year and a half years ago, six months babe in Christ, and I'm at a, in, in, in San Jose, and we're up there at the Police Olympics, and I'm really just thinking about competing. And I go through a McDonald's parking lot. And there's this um, homeless Thirty-five years ago, you figured I'd get over it by now. But he's just walking around McDonald's, and I thought, hmm, moment, moment, opportunity. And Robin and the kids are in the car, and they're going, oh, he's going to do it again. (laughs) So I said, oh, man, I got to go find this guy. And I I, I buy the, the meal, you know, and I go outside, and he's gone. And I think, oh, I missed the opportunity. But I know where transients go on a hot day in the bathroom. It's tiled walls. It's cool in there. So I go in there and I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be cool. I got him trapped. (laughs) So I go inside and he's not there. (laughs) He is here. (laughs) So I take the food. I said, what am I doing now, Lord? You know, it's an opportunity. I saw it. I don't want to miss it. So I put the bag on the ground next to the stall, and I shove it under. <laughs> and I said, what a, what a, what a bonehead. <laughs> I said, uh, you know, the Lord tells us to feed his sheep. 
I had a lot of zeal and no knowledge of the word. (laughs) There was absolutely no wisdom there. But believers need to use uh, boldness, yes, but tact. Tact. There's a lot of other examples I'll kind of throw in there and smidgens of them here and there for you. But the third word I want to clarify for you is this word of being outsiders. Uh, It sounds kind of harsh, but it's truthful. They are not members of the household of faith. That's all. So watch how you conduct yourselves and those around those that are not of the household of faith. Those of you in here, it's tough enough to have those of you in here hear something that is inappropriate. But, you know, by grace, you ask for forgiveness of one another and, you know, your, your forgiveness is given. But when you say something like that, crude or rude to an outsider, it's going to put up a wall between you and the gospel. So outsiders, unbelievers, those who don't know Christ, those who are not followers of him, so on and so forth, not members of a church, the body of Christ. This means if you don't have any unbelieving friends, get some. I got some. I'll loan you a couple. You can't do the stuff Paul's telling the Colossian church and us to do without unbelievers. It doesn't work. So people are lost. And I got to thinking when I was um, reading through this, I thought, well, okay, that's a lot about us to the unbelievers, to those outside the church. But what about those who are outside the church? How do they plug into this stuff? What has God got to say about them? And so I started thinking about the outsiders, and I looked at the scriptures in Mark chapter 10, Verses 46 through 52, you don't have to turn there, it's a long passage, I'll read it for you quickly. But this whole idea of Bartimaeus meeting Jesus, and some of you already know it, but it says when Jesus and his disciples were leaving, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timerius, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he became uh, anxious, crying out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and he called to him, he called and he said, call the blind man and say to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up to his feet and he came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Bartimaeus, blind, lonely, pitiful sight, I suspect, a beggar on the ground, sees the incarnate Christ, the incarnate gospel. And by God's sovereign providential hand, he's moved into the path of Christ. Now I accent that by God's providential hand because no one's going to come to Christ except God's sovereignty in his providential hand. But there he is on the road. And Jesus, opportunity. And the gospel is presented and he follows him on his way. Church, there is no better mission. I don't care what you do for a living. There is no better mission. And your living is important. No better mission than this. And there's an example of your Lord doing it. And this is filled full of examples. He seizes the opportunity. Don't pass him by. Don't miss him. 
And then there's another story I want to reveal to you because those lost people out there have an opinion about Christianity. They have an opinion about you. December 7th, 1995 from the Daily Bread. I never forgot the feeling. It was as if I suddenly had become invisible. I had gone into a, a major department store in a large mall to purchase a gift for my wife. I made my way to, in the, to the proper section and I stood at the counter. Nothing happened. I moved around and tried to get a look and tried to look eager. Still nothing happened. I could not get waited on. The store was not busy. I could see clusters of clerks engaging in conversation among themselves. Others were straightening racks, but no one even acknowledged that I was there. I finally went to another store. You make your own analogies to the spiritual life, to the believers in Christ, in their relationship to one another and the lost. Clustered in holy huddles? Or are they waiting for the person who feels invisible? People are all around us, some yearning because the Spirit is calling them to Himself. Others will respond to a kind deed. Others to a gentle persuasion. The Spirit of God is your director to what to do and what to say and how to do it and how to say it. Pray for an open door. If you pray for an open door, I guarantee you God will open the door. He'll give you the opportunity you don't believe me? Test him. I'm serious. Test him. Look back at verse 5. In some of the translations it says, making the most of your opportunity. Chapter 4, verse 5. And this is what I think is really cool. Out of everything, this is the jewel for me. Making every opportunity the most of every opportunity. It means redeeming the opportunity. Literally, it means buying up. Buying up the opportunity. It's like the businessman or the inventor that sees an opportunity to sell the product and he's going to seize it and he's going to buy up all that time that's available to him. Again, if you watch, if you watch TV, the Shark Tank. I don't watch it, but I happened to be on TV the other day and I thought, this is weird. All the guys with the money are sitting over there and these people come in with their inventions, right? And they want to kind of link up with these billionaires. And what's a billionaire doing? Just being a nice guy? Nah. He's buying up the opportunity. This knucklehead wants to put his product in the market. He'll put it with me. I'll get 35%. Bingo. Next. That's, that's what Paul's telling us. Buy up the opportunity. Don't let them leave. Don't be rude, but don't let them leave. Okay, there's several ways to do this. In wrapping this stuff up, I want to tell you that you just stay in the rhythm of your life. God will bring these things by you. I'm going to give you some suggestions, things you can do. And I would really, and I mean this, I would really truly like to hear your response when you tried one of these things, what happened. Okay? So here's putting tools in your hands, practical application. Attend and participate in an HOA function. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm trying to reach this guy down the street from my house to tell him about the gospel of Christ. You might have heard me talk about him before, Lee. Well, Lee tells me when I'm in his house that this other cop friend that we got that lives up there wants me to come to an HOA meeting with him 
And Lee's testing me. Ah, you don't want to go to that. I said, no, I'll go. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> I went there and it was all about this highly technical stuff. They want to move the homeless out of the, okay, good. And once I had an opportunity to introduce myself and told them what I did and what I previously did, they say, I'd like to thank and excuse this person. <laughs> it wasn't a problem. Uh, it's kind of like getting out of jury duty, you know? <laughs> so anyway, I went to the HOA. Why did I go to the HOA? Because I'm concerned about my community? Yeah. That concern? No. <laughs> but there's people there. This is their church. And if I can get called into a, another church for an open door, for admission, for the gospel, maybe not then, but another time, I'm going. Go to the HOAs. Start a weekly open meal night in your home. Come one, come all. Just enjoy it. Start a walking or running group in your neighborhood. You're out walking all the time. You see two other people that are walking. You say, hey, why don't we join together? How about Friday? Let's do it like once a month. Cool opportunity. And these are not all mine, by the way. Um, have people who don't know Jesus into your house, people longing for community and connection. It's the only common denominator you need. Talk to the person who cuts your hair. If they're a Christian that cuts your hair, switch to a non-Christian. <laughs> I did this. And I'm concerned about my hair. It was a great sacrifice. But Norma, after I got to talking with her over months, knows Christ. <laughs> that ain't fun. <laughs> but Evelyn does not. So I switched chairs and went over to Evelyn. See? And now Evelyn and I are talking. And she's a young woman. She's not married, has a baby. And we're engaged in conversation about spiritual things. It, it is a crack up. Lost people don't talk like you. <laughs> they don't even have values that you do. So all kinds of stuff comes you know, flying around. But after they know you're a believer in Christ, they kind of talk like, yeah, the other day, did... well, it happened. <laughs> so they changed their, their conduct. They're awesome. All right, so even if you're concerned about your hair, go to somebody else, right? We are all precious, and we have precious life here. And every moment, every minute is valuable. I understand that. Um, listen to this. We've got, every one of us, 1,440 minutes in a day, 10,080 per week, 3,679,200 3, minutes per year. So at the end of each day, at the end of each week, at the end of each year, what can you say you're spending your time on. Are you spending your time wisely? Or is all that just going to no value whatsoever? Verse 6, and then we'll wrap it up with verse 6 there. When you're talking to unbelievers, you can't talk their talk. You can only go to a certain level. And they understand that. Correct? They understand that if you let them know who you are. It says, let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you may know how you should respond to each person. Very quickly, those three words there, 
that are, or two words that are grace and salt, you know, grace is extending something to someone, a benefit that they don't deserve, right? You're doing that among one another and also in the lost world. And quite frankly, here in this sanctuary, there's a person here this morning that has done this multiple times. I know because we talk. But there was this homeless person, too, in a trailer, living in, a, in a, an area that they would get sighted for or towed, their vehicle towed. And this person goes there, happens to have a pickup truck, says, opportunity, knocking, hooks their, their uh, trailer up, helps them out with a little bit of finances, you know, some food and stuff, hooks their trailer up, and pulls it to another place where they won't get their home taken from them. Does it stop there? No. Invites the man. It was a man and woman together, not married, living together. Invites the man, after talking to him about Christ, to bring him to the church. And he brings him to the church during the middle of the week, an opportunity for the gospel again, more ministering, and we take him back. Opportunities, church. If there's 150 people in here this morning, you multiply that with opportunities. And just see how you can turn over Huntington Beach. Good stuff, church, but it's not going to go anywhere. Just knowing that you're a Christian, just coming to church, even, quite frankly, living like a Christian, it'll get you some way down the road, but eventually, some way, one way or another, you're going to have to give them the gospel of Christ, the good news. 66 books. Do you know the gospel? If you don't know the gospel, if you don't know that Jesus Christ, right, was born, lived, died, crucified, shed his blood that to, satis- to satisfy the wrathfulness of God against sin, was buried and then he rose again, which we celebrate regularly. And each one of you, by the grace of God, have been given the gospel and each one of you, by the grace of God, has responded to it. There's a whole lot more out there. One more, just one more. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for what you do for us. Boy, God, you are a wonderful God. Every good and perfect thing comes down from you. And so, Father, I trust that regardless of anything I've said, you will make good in the faithfulness of those four verses penned by Paul but written by your Spirit. So would you do a wonderful work even as we leave here today. Show us opportunities. Show us the the GPS, the Spirit of God, where we would go, who we would talk to, and what to say. So we can feel the zeal that there is in sharing the gospel and organizing our life to do that in Christ's name. Amen.